Friends and family, welcome to the ClickCast. We have with us, as always, the author, Mr. Encyclopedia Brown, Jimmy Jam. Give it up. What's up, what's up? And sitting in chair number two, we have the analytical one, our own Mr. Bob Costas, Christian Uncaged. What is up, my man? Yo, what's good? And I am your host, Big Ron Stood. That's right. And to let you know, you can find the ClickCast available on Spotify. That's Click, C-L-I-Q-U-E, cast, two words, C-A-S-T, on Spotify. You can also find us on Google Podcasts. We're on Podcast Attic. Like and follow our Facebook page. And show us some love on our Instagram page, ClickCast333. Our YouTube page is probably up right now, but I'm going to continue to say it's under construction until I confirm with B Squared, who couldn't be us with us today. Yeah, that's right. I make mistakes. B Squared couldn't be with us today. The engineer, Mr. Make It Happen, Brent Beefhead, could not be here today. Shout out to my man. He will be joining us next time for our next series. I definitely have him in mind for a few things we want to do. And always, um, we're going to like bring it to you like we do. So, my guys great to have you today thank you for your time the click cast is going to be talking about something i feel like ties into um royal rumble and wrestlemania season and that is um storylines the storylines are like the the basis and the foundation of wrestling i feel like storylines and emotional tie-ins is what got us all at some point into wrestling so today we're going to talk about our three big ones our big three that's why you got click cast three three on igg as you know this three is always a theme on here it's a magic number i'm just saying so um today we're talking about our favorite stories right and some of our not so favorite stories we want to talk about the story that got us involved in wrestling the story that almost got us out of wrestling and one that Jimmy came up with that I really like is the click cast. I'm sorry, not the click cast. The story that completely exceeded our expectations. So, Jimmy Jam, with that being said, we're going to start. And it's funny, I'm interested in hearing this from both of these guys because I want to see how much these uh, two stories coincide because they're best friends at the time when this happened. So, um, I'm going to start with Jimmy Jam. What was the story that first really got you like involved in wrestling? So this was actually really hard for me because I was born in the late 80s. So growing up, my wrestling was new generation. Like it was like early 90s, mid 90s, all that, all that bullshit. However, <laughs> um, growing up he when I was a kid, yeah, <laughs> I, I do admit it. Looking back, it was a lot of bullshit. But um, as I was growing up watching wrestling, I would also rent Coliseum videos from Blockbuster, and my dad would also bring old VHS tapes from from uh, from his work. Uh, I guess I guess like a coworker from had a bunch of videos, or whatever. And so I would have all this wrestling come into the current early '90s. I would have past '80s wrestling plus the Coliseum video. So I, I wouldn't have a bunch of wrestling I would watch out of order. So with that being said. The guy that stood out to me most was Bret the Hitman Hart. He is my favorite wrestler of all time. And honorable mention, 
Um, the storyline between Randy Savage and Hulk Hogan, Mega Powers Collide, that's it out to me too. But Bret Hart, he was my guy. So him versus Mr. Perfect, 91 SummerSlam, one of my favorite matches of all time. I think that was the was the storyline that was like, okay, I love wrestling. I don't remember when I saw it for the first time, but I know when I saw it, I was like, okay, mm-hmm. Brett is my guy. And I remember watching WrestleMania 7 being pissed off that the Nasty Boys, who I couldn't, I didn't like them then, I don't <laughs> like them now. Cannot stand the Nasty Boys. They beat the Hart Foundation for the tag team titles, and I was pissed. Legit pissed. <laughs> and little did I know, they were setting up bread to have a singles run. Right. So it all worked out. Right. Um, and yeah. So, so that, I, I was, that ask, was the one thing. I gotta ask, what was it about the storyline that really drew you in? Like, you got you, like, just stuck. Like, I gotta see how this finishes out or plays out. Okay, so that storyline in, in particular, I want to say before I saw that, I was, like, a casual fan. If, if it was on, I would watch it. If my dad bought me something, fine. But I wasn't, like... I didn't love wrestling. If it was, mm-hmm. if it was like, if it, if it was baseball, football, basketball, boxing, um, I would pick that over wrestling. And that was that's been true until maybe like 2013 or so. But as far as this story goes in particular, as far as Bret Hart, Mister Perfect goes, I don't. It was just something about Bret Hart that hooked me. It was it was the way he wrestled. It was his style. It was his persona. Like the whole pink and black. I don't know why that worked for him, but it did. I can't imagine anyone else wearing well, besides Sting. I can't imagine anyone besides <laughs> Brett or Sting wearing pink and black and having to work for them. Then over, um, right? And yeah, and and so yeah, Brett. Oh, and of course, and Mr. Perfect. I mean, of course, I saw Brett wrestle plenty before that, but him fighting Mr. Perfect, who I said on a previous podcast, also one of my favorite wrestlers. Mr. Perfect is amazing to me. He's one of the best sellers um, of all time. He, he he just gets it. He just gets it. So seeing them two finally hook up in one of my favorite matches, um, I don't know. That's that's just, it. Just it just did it for me. Facts. Now that's that's a very. I mean. Bret Hart, he's one of the best they ever did it. So I can see definitely how these matches are like the definition of telling the story in the ring. So great call with Bret Hart. Um, couldn't couldn't find any holes in that one, Jimmy. So um, Christian Uncaged, I'm going to try to get your name right one of these times. I call him a lot of different things during a podcast. Just get over it. It's my little brother. I'm going to call him whatever I want to call him. So there. So We are um, not going to say what you called him during our <laughs> pre-meeting. <laughs> you know, one of these days I might slip around and call him that too. Who knows? <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> Please don't. Please don't. <laughs> Mr. Bob Costas, I really would. Actually, this one fascinates me almost as much as as the previous story because um quick quick side note um christian and cage is my little brother um when i was in college he became a wrestling fan during this time and it was a time when i was away from him and it would bother me because he would have birthday parties and things i didn't get to be around him i didn't get to see him and so it was like i didn't have the closest that i wanted with my little bro because he was just an awesome guy and um 
one of the things that we were able to connect on when I returned from college as he was getting older was, was wrestling. And he was a fan and, and I was a fan. And I um, delved even deeper into my fandom as he was right then. And um, we were able to reconnect on that stage. And it was really cool. And we had some great experience and great times because of it. And so it's a, it's one of those foundations. That's why actually wrestling is important to me. But um, had that being said, I didn't get too sappy. Christian and Cage, what was the storyline that got you involved in wrestling? I actually really want to know this. Well, so that's a good segue. Um, I think I will call myself Christian Costas from now on. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think it's elegant. Bob Costas is a very elegant person. But, uh, yeah, very elegant. <laughs> I would say, you know, uh, I'll piggyback off that story. My brother, my older brother, definitely uh, got me into wrestling. Uh, he started buying me those magazines. Uh, a lot of different articles and different things that he had. I, I ended up stealing from his room pretty much. That's <laughs> uh, true. And, and looking over and, and just, you know, getting insight to what was going on. Raw's War was really popular. Early 90s, uh, I used to, I had an old TV in my room that I got from my mom. And when I knew she was going to bed, I would turn back on the TV and mute it so I could watch Raw. <laughs> Uh, and then when I heard her get up, I would turn it off. You know, and I, I kind of went through that. We love you, Auntie Jane. the old school VCRs, so I used to always record it and then try and watch it the next day if I couldn't catch it that night. But uh, for me, it was it was Shawn Michaels, HBK, a heartbreak kid. Uh, I liked how he was flashy. That's, it's the opposite of my personality. I'm very low-key and mellow. Mm-hmm. So seeing somebody that was flashy, uh, had a lot of people that admired him, fans loved him, uh, you know, somewhat flamboyant, but not overly flamboyant in my opinion. Um, and it just had, the, I guess, the, the attention of everybody. And it was a showstopper, literally. Like, literally, that was the best match on the card in most cases because he just was the best at that time. And um, it helped me gravitate towards, you know, wrestling and really get into it as I got older. Um, just knowing that he was the standard, he was the bar, no pun intended. Lovely. I mean, you know, I gotta say, you had to call on this one long before I did. I want to say long before. I'm gonna speak for Jam too, because neither one of us were fans of uh, Shawn Michaels coming up. Because um, truth be told, um, another another story here. Christian and Cage, myself and Jimmy Jam used to watch a lot of pay-per-views together back in the days. Um, a lot. So it was like Jam and myself always used to give uh, Christian and Cage, I'm sorry, Christian Costas, the business for being a Shawn Michaels fan because we didn't like him and he did. We was like, how could you? And lo and behold, he's pretty much in the modern day Ric Flair as far as working and work rate and and being able to do some of everything. Even though I think Ric Flair is over overrated, um Shawn Michaels is actually pretty good. That's a whole nother show. Ric Flair is highly overrated. We'll get into that at a different time. But um God damn it, I hate to say this. Oh, can I say Christian, one thing? Are you Christian saying right. with a line? I said what? Are you saying that Ric Flair is Emma Smith with a line? oh this is too early for this man okay 
I'm saying I'm not going to give a uh, little brother any more props. Yes, he was right about Shawn Michaels. Um, he's basically one of the best that ever did it. And so I see watching Shawn Michaels coming up in a day. How could you not get um, involved in whatever he's just doing? He was that good. He made everything he did um, better. And that's according to the top workers, um, older guys today who have watched Shawn Michaels. Um, I'm going to tell you my own personal story. My favorite story watching coming up and which led to the what I still think is the greatest pro wrestling match ever in the history of WrestleMania. And that is a story of Macho Man versus Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. Um, I was a huge Ricky Steamboat fan. Okay, Ricky Steamboat was like the karate guy, right? And I was a huge karate fan. Um, my dad and I would go see karate flicks all the time, and we talk about you know watching karate. And so, and my dad was also a wrestling fan, so um, we had that in common. We would talk about wrestling, and we would go see shows together. And so, you had this guy that came on that enhanced both. He was Ricky Steamboat, and he could do karate. He would kick your ass, and he would jump over stuff and he was awesome and he went against this dude who was fucking evil the macho man randy savage right oh yeah that was a terrible macho man impression but still the macho man was awesome <laughs> he was so awesome i look back now i just realized how great he was because i hated macho man so much he embodied everything that i hated and ricky steamboat embodied everything that i loved and wanted to be he was like black belt that could fight and he was smooth his arm drags are still the best ever in pro wrestling and so the story as the story goes there was something in my mouth that's why i sounded weird as the story goes the macho man destroy ricky steamboat's throat he jumps on his throat with a ring bell this is the first time i've ever seen anybody do this okay but prior to that he takes he attacks ricky steamboat right because ricky steamboat is the man he's going to challenge for macho man's intercontinental belt so he attacks ricky steamboat he drapes him over the ring barrier right the steel ring barrier and he puts him throat right down on the ring barrier he comes off the top rope with a double axe handle bam right on top of him onto his back and causing him much pain and causing much 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 damage to the throat area as we're led to believe as um a gorilla monsoon is saying oh what a dastardly thing he's done and you're like oh my god you sick bastard and so then he throws in ricky steamboat into the ring and he gets the ring bell now this is the first time i can recall ever 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 seen this used as a weapon and if you note christian and cage and jimmy jam this was a weapon in many wrestlemania games he grabs the ring bell he climbs to the top yeah, of the rope yeah, yeah. he climbs to the top of the rope and does a macho man elbow drop with the ring bell onto ricky steamboat's throat oh my god oh my god how could you do that, you sick bastard? Ricky is can't breathe, and they're like, I'm sure there's a tracheotomy performed somewhere in the back, and they take and they drag him out there to save his life. He comes on the TV for weeks leading up to the match where he can't breathe. I'm sorry, I shouldn't say he can't breathe. I mean, he's dead. He comes on for weeks after, 
and and he is grabbing his throat and he's trying to talk. He has to really learn how to talk because there was so much damage to the collapsed trachea that Macho Man caused that this man has to relearn how to talk, how to relearn how to speak, how to interact with the people. He's now a mute. And Ricky was in there going, uh, 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 trying to talk. And you were thinking, oh my God, you sick bastard. What did you do? And again, I was like, I don't know, but 14, 12, not, yeah, let's say nine, okay, 12, in there, in there. So, and it was amazing. I was like, oh my God, this sick bastard. How could you do this with Ricky Steamboat? He's Ricky Steamboat is so cool. And then you have this match at WrestleMania where, ah, they have, okay. Side note, another side note, Ricky Steamboat, who is my favorite wrestler coming up, it's not as big of a fan of this match as I think that he should be because it was so scripted. Macho Man wanted it to be perfect. But guess what? That's how all matches are booked today. Macho Man created the perfect match. He created one of the best matches I'd ever seen. I remember getting my chance to watch WrestleMania and watch this match and being in awe of what these two put on. It was the best thing I ever seen in wrestling. And from then on, I thought, this is what I'm about. I'm going to watch this faithfully. This is this. I, this is awesome. The story that was told, the emotion that was brought in, the fact that I was drawn in so tight that I cared about what happened to Ricky Steamboat. And it made me a fan of, of him, a fan of the business, a fan of the industry. And, and that's why we're talking about it right now. So, yes, Ricky Steamboat. You know what, Ron? Um, listening to you tell your story about Macho Man versus Steamboat, it's funny because... I have a complete different memory of that storyline. Uh-huh. Like I said earlier, like I said earlier, I watched a lot of wrestling out of order. So by the time I saw Macho Man vs. Steamboat, I had already seen Macho Man the run when he was a face against Ric Flair and all that. So I'm a fan of Macho Man by this point. <laughs> so when funny. he fights, when I see him fight Steamboat, I'm like, kick his ass. I'm rooting for Macho Man. <laughs> 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 you know? And like, hearing you say like, he's a oh. deathly heel. And I'm like, oh I remember God. him with, with, that, with that whole ring belt. I remember all of that. But mm-hmm. I remember thinking like, yes. Get him, get him. Macho Man like, was I one of the no great. That's so of, like, funny. Oh, he was one of the great heels of his day. He was such a good heel. My, I look back now. He was such a. He was so. Everything he did was heelish. The way he walked into the ring, the way he looked at fans when he walked into the ring, he was a heel by and by, true and true. It's what's missing probably with today. One of the things that's missing besides the killing of kayfabe, as I wear my uh, never break kayfabe t-shirt today. That's what I do. Um, it's one of the things that's missing in wrestling today. But he was great. Macho Man was fantastic. And there's one one last thing I want to say about this Macho Man thing. Um, it's funny you bring up Macho Man after Chris brought up uh, Shawn Michaels because that is one match I've always wanted to see. And it never happened. It's Macho Man versus Shawn Michaels. That would have been an amazing match. You know what? When we do our fantasy booking, we might have to bring that one up. I'm sure Chris Dog has a whole lot to say about that. But, um, Chris, we're going to lead into our second story. And... Um, this is going to be a fun one, actually. Um, you're going to lead us off, my guy. What was the story that almost got you out of wrestling? The one that made you almost say, this, I can't do this anymore. Uh, <laughs> take it away, Christian Costas. 
Absolutely. What I would say is, uh, believe it or not, the invasion. Oh, wow. <laughs> so if you remember that <laughs> point in time, you know, versus uh, Jimmy and myself, same age, you know, we were getting older. The focus was different. It was about sports and girls at that point. <laughs> Wrestling was kind of starting to take a backseat. And, you know, it was right in the middle of the invasion. You know, we were still playing video games and stuff, but we weren't as dedicated to it as we once were. And Jimmy was starting to fall off. So Jimmy, you know, when we were little kids, I'm going to tell the story real quick. He uh, had an ima- a great imagination. He was saying, you know, I know Vince McMahon personally. He can, that's my guy. So he used to always <laughs> say that he had, he used to have meetings with Vince all the time. So if we didn't agree with something, me and his other brother Dominic would always argue about it. And he was like, well, I had a meeting with him. He said, it's going to be fine. Don't worry. So he got to the point. He got to the point where basically him and Vince were seeing eye to eye. And that's around the time that Jimmy started flipping. That's what he Jimmy Jam was like, you know what? WWE may not be for me anymore. And that was around that time because storyline wise, it should have been so much better. You know, you had all of this talent coming from WCW that was folding. You had ECW. You obviously had Paul Heyman. But the way that everything was booked, with WWE having to be superior over everybody, it didn't make sense. You know, Booker T is a five-time champion. Why is he losing to a mid-card, lower-card talent in WWE? It doesn't make sense. Thanks. And, you know, those types of things were what really killed it because as fans, we knew about both shows, the all three shows. So you see Taz show up, you show, you see, uh, you know, Sabu, you see uh, Booker T, you see Chris Benoit, Rey Mysterio, all these people. You're like, oh, man, now I've got all the heavy hitters in one place. So you're, you're really excited about that. That's a super team, right? And for whatever reason, it didn't go the way it was supposed to from a storyline perspective. Didn't really get talent over because what you could have done is really book yourself for the next 10, 15 years with all those people you had, but we didn't take advantage of that. And that's what was so disappointing and really made it hard to want to continue on. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh. Um, I... <sighs> Yeah, so I, I do want to say, like, when that whole invasion thing happened, like I said earlier in this podcast, wrestling still wasn't my favorite thing at that current moment. I still like basketball, mm-hmm. football, baseball, boxing more than wrestling at that current time. So when the invasion happened, it sucked. And I was like, okay, I could drop off right here if I really wanted to, but... I was like, I don't hate it enough to just stop watching, but this, but it, it just highlighted why it wasn't my favorite thing right. over other sports. Exactly. Um, let, me, let me say this too. One thing for you too that I think ruined it was the fact of how they use RBD. That was your guy. Mm. Yes. You you know how. I mean, but that, and that's thanks to you. You introduced me to ECW. And when I saw RBD on ECW, I was like, this guy is the fucking man. I love me. Okay. RVD. For the and record, I introduced in and Christian and Cage okay, well. to ECW. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, he he didn't get did too dirty, but it was still, he didn't get the respect I thought he should have gotten. Like, they made him, 
he he was just they we didn't have memes back back in those days, but he was a fucking meme. All he said was "cool dude" and <laughs> and and totally rant. Like he was he he wasn't RVD. No, like, he, wasn't. he wasn't. Okay, he he was a fucking. He wasn't as big a, as as a, as a goof as Matt Riddle is, but. He was close to being a goof, the way Matt Riddle is being a goof yes. right, right right now, currently. Yes. And that really pissed me off. I remember RVD as this badass, just no nonsense motherfucker. Like you, you know, kick the shit out of. I you. actually remember watching one of my first ECW pay per views and uh, catching RVD and have him look at the camera. And say, hey, I'm the whole fucking show. And I was like, God damn, who is this motherfucker? I was stuck right there. Like, this dude looked at the camera and said, I'm the whole fucking show. What are you going to do about it, basically? Like, you came to see me, motherfucker. Literally. I was just like, this dude is a badass. So, yeah, I I know what you mean. I'm the whole fucking show. I'm just like, what? That is the sickest shit I'd ever heard on a wrestling fucking show before. <laughs> so I was juiced. I was juiced. Pretty much. I just smoke. Come on, yo. 420. I'm not going to say I'm a fan, but I'm a fan. So, um, <laughs> wow. Those are really good. Like, those are actually excellent. Um, let's see. We're going to move on to our. What was it? Our most the story that most exceeded our expectations, and um, no, 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 no. Yes. Um, you still have to give what almost drove you away. I have to give what almost drove me away. Oh, that's right, huh? We we're gonna go that route. You had a <sighs> man moment. I wanted to forget about it. I wanted to move on, and I did it. I have a lot of old men moment, but I wanted to move on because I didn't want to talk about it. I'm going to talk about it right now. Oh my god! Oh, and it's funny that um, Christian, you talked about you um, being at a certain age and feeling like okay, maybe time to move on. When this happened, I remember I was um, had to be 92, 91, 92, and um, I was headed to college soon. Soon enough, anyway, I was still a senior in high school. And um, this fucking story, just like, you know, it was fucking awful. Um, Ultimate Warrior had become the, the, the world champion. And so maybe, actually, you know, I take that back. Maybe it was 91. Ultimate Warrior had become the world champion. And, and it was something that just wasn't right because he was kind of a weirdo. And then they have this storyline where he has this new guy comes in. And this guy's name is Papa Shango. And Papa Shango comes in as a voodoo high priestess. And he comes in and he is like Papa Shango. Um, shout out to Charles Wright, who um when we have our um our black podcast, when we talk about um great contributions to from African Americans in pro wrestling, we're gonna do that. When we talk about that, Charles Wright will come up. But not in the positive way when it comes to Papa Shango. I could not stand this dude. I was sitting there going, what the fuck? Come on now. And I remember when watching this at this time, my way of me realizing it was a work, I was, I would say to myself, why are they doing that? Like, what? why did they go that, that route? I didn't know who they was. I didn't know it was this McMahon and Pat Patterson and, 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 and Richards and, and all these other people and, 
I mean Pritchard, I'm sorry, Bruce Pritchard. I didn't know it was all these people. But I would go, why did they go that route? And so the route they took, this particular part of the story, is where Papa Shango put a curse on the ultimate warrior. And he started to vomit violently on the ring apron. And I thought, are you fucking insane? Am I supposed to believe that a high fucking priestess named Papa Shango put a curse on the ultimate warrior and now he's vomiting violently on the ring apron and you're going to take him out. I'm, I'm supposed to buy this, right? I'm too old for this shit, right? I'm too old for this shit. That's what I thought. And I was just sitting there going, why? Why did you guys do that? You just upset me because you called me an idiot for making me feel like I, I'm watching this. And and that's what Vince has a tendency to do recently is to make you feel like a complete ass for watching his product. And and this is the first time I really felt like that. And I was just like, wow, this how can I watch this? So I got out of it for a while. And then I told you the story of Christian Costas being involved in wrestling and his friend Jimmy, who I knew when I met him very soon after I knew Jimmy Jam was a lifer. I wasn't sure about Christian Costas, but I knew Jimmy Jam was going to be a lifer. I was right. So, um, <laughs> I, I'm telling you the facts. That's the truth. So, um, Jimmy Jam. No, no, no. Yeah, um, I, I just want to say, once again, me and you have different memories of something that happened. Because, I mean, just, I'm going to be honest. I, I was a kid when that Papa Shango thing happened, and I liked it. <laughs> now, of course, now I'm a fucking adult, and it's like, okay, that is stupid. Stupid. But, it, it's really stupid. But, when I was a kid, I already knew wrestling was a work, right? Because, like I said, I, I like I like boxing more than wrestling. Right. And if you watch boxing, you can tell that wrestling come on. Is a now. Work. I, I knew say, it was. A I, work. I don't want to say yeah. fake, but you know what I'm a saying. Work. If you get um, punched in the face, you're gonna bruise. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so I, I already knew that wrestling was was you know it wasn't real, right. but um, I didn't. I, I also thought that Jack Tunney was this powerful person. So I wasn't like, I wasn't in the know completely. I, I thought certain things were real, but I just knew that the, that the actual fighting wasn't real. Mm -hmm. So when I saw Papa Shango, it's like, okay, he's really a voodoo man <laughs> doing this, doing this weird scripted. I don't, I don't want to say fake. I don't want to say fake, but come on. He's doing this weird scripted fighting. And I didn't think two shits. And I was like, this is cool to me, whatever. So I'm thinking, um, <laughs> this is this voodoo guy doing this curse thing. And I dug it. It was like a live action comic book to me. <laughs> That's how I viewed it. <laughs> I thought it was so, so fucking ridiculous. Like, it was ridiculous. It was. I also, at the time now, I was also a fan of the NWA and WCW. Or I call it the NWA when I watched Ric Flair and Dusty Rhodes and, and Barry Windham and the Road Warriors work. And they worked a definitely more closer to realistic style than the WWE. So turning WWE and then turning and watching the Four Horsemen and 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 Dusty Rhodes and 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 Nikita Koloff in the war games compared to like Papa Shango and the Ultimate Warrior throwing up on the side of the apron. Yeah, uh, this well, was ridiculous. See, when, when, you, when, you, when you say that, like to right. me, it's all the same. 
because like it, it all looked fake to me. Mm-hmm. It didn't mean I, I didn't like it any 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 less. I still liked it. I still enjoyed it, but it was still all looked scripted okay good point it all did look that way but one of them tried to to convince you they were real and one of them said i'm just a fucking joke and that was a difference to me that's true that was a difference to me me to what almost drove me away take it away right there uh jimmy jam almost drove me away it it did drive me away i've been driven away twice now that i said i I stopped watching (laughs) june to huh no go ahead um i stopped watching june 2007 and i i picked up again after the punk promo in 2011 and then i stopped watching again june 2021 I don't know what it is about June, but that is just like a breaking point to me. <laughs> so just to keep it, just keep it short, short and short. I don't want to rant too long about this. The first time, um, it was in the middle of Cena's reign of terror. Um, Bobby Lashley just got drafted to Monday Night Raw. He had no, Bobby Cena's Bobby title. Lashley. Um, Lashley, Booker T. Uh, he was King Buck at the time. Randy Orton. They were they were contenders for. Cena's title and they had this storyline where any past champion can come challenge for the belt at Night of Champions and Mick Foley comes out and we had just seen him get fired by, by Vince McMahon and it's like okay well how was he back if he got fired um, he talked about how he swindled McMahon to get his job something weird like that I'm like well, this doesn't make any fucking sense and then they had this five pack challenge and then Cena pins Foley and then Foley, like, just fucks off. And we don't see him again for a while after that. And it's like, it, I just felt like a fucking idiot. And it's like, my intelligence is being insulted. Right, right. And I, I'm sure I felt like that. Oh, I, no, I definitely felt like that for a while leading up to this. That was just my breaking point. I don't know why that was my breaking point, but it was. And I was like, I cannot take this shit Anymore, I think it was just a combination of that terrible invasion angle that happened, and but Eddie Guerrero brought me back. He brought my love back. But then Cena becoming like this goody two. He wasn't thugonomics anymore. He was like this weird goody two shoes Hulk Hogan type character. I I, I never liked Hogan. And I was I cannot take this shit anymore. And but like I said, Punk brought me back. And then again in June 2021, I remember Drew McIntyre cutting a promo against Bobby Lashley, saying, "Oh, I want a match where you can't end, where MVP can't get in get in the way. He can't he can't uh, jump and jump in in our, in our bits. Blah blah blah. I want hell in a cell. And it's like motherfucker." The very first Hell in a Cell match had interference. It had fucking Kane come out. <laughs> true, it's one of the true. greatest debuts, if not the greatest not debut the greatest, of yeah. all time. Motherfucker, you were at Hell in a Cell 2018 when Brock Lesnar came in and the match ended in a goddamn no contest. What do you mean you don't want interference? You were at 2018. Kane mm-hmm. came in in the very first one. What are you talking about? And then, and, and, and in the match, MVP interferes and fucking Bobby Lashley rolls up Drew McIntyre. It was between that Lashley's. I'm, I'm ranting. I'm ranting. Already. It was between Lashley. It was between Lashley. I mean Drew McIntyre's promo, and then MVP interfering, 
and a fucking roll up to end a hell in a stump. I was like, I cannot do this shit anymore. And those were my two breaking points. And I highly doubt WWE gets me back a third time because they don't have a CM Punk to bring me back. They don't. So, yeah. Maybe when MJF signs with them in two years, we'll see what happens. Okay, Christian. Don't put that evil out there. Don't put that evil out there. <laughs> <laughs> he'll be MJ, no more F. That's what he'll be. Um, Christian Costas, you are closing this one out. What was. No, you already opened with that story. You'd let us know what was yeah, happening. He, he went first. Yeah. He did go first. So I wanted to say is. You're going to open up with this story that completely exceeded your expectation. Christian Costas, what you got for us? The bill was exceeding my expectation? Yes, sir. Yeah. Um, <laughs> this is going to sound crazy, but um, I'm going to actually say recently uh, the modern day Maharaja. <laughs> oh my you did this on purpose you tried to get listen, Jimmy started listen, listen. so I was never a fan um, all of a sudden he came back from an injury he got bigger he had the size you know the turban with the, uh, the face covering he changed his he, he, like, he pumped some steroids okay <laughs> it, was, it was some it was some Punjabi rap with it it was clean bro the, the, the red carpet got rolled out the praying carpet. I was like, this is clean, bruh. And he had his guys with him. And like, he low key was more convincing. Like that little six month run that he had, it wasn't bad. And like, honestly, I remember it said early on and then he got hurt, but he just thugged it out the entire time as long as he could. And then I think it came down to Brock Lesnar saying he didn't want to work with him. You know, yeah. They're, they're yeah. making that decision to take the belt off of him, you know, but honestly, like, I'm not saying it was a, a needle mover. By the way, I got that shirt coming to the mail. I can't wait. Uh, <laughs> you got to get the WWE shirts up, man. All the shirts are popping. Oh, man. Never break kayfabe. George Kittle, actually. Shout out to Kittle in the Niners. He, shout he out Kittle. wearing shirts on a regular basis. On all shout his, out to Kittle. But, uh, it was it was like It was the best you would ever get from him, and I felt like he did it pretty well. So I gotta say that's that's mine. You know what? You're not wrong. I think that that because it, it was who it was, and he wasn't built properly in the same way that JBL wasn't built properly. Um, I thought that did exceed expectations. I actually remember taking during his run. I took my two little ones, my my boy and my girl, Christian Cages, his niece and nephew. I took them to um, a show at SmackDown where he was on top. And you're right with the red carpet and the music. It was popping. It was it was like whoa, this is cool. We, we went to a show at um, Oakland Coliseum and show, and you know he was on top at that point. I can't. I, I can't. I can't. I can't. I can't. <laughs> I can't. You are both wrong. I have said here. I I let both of y'all talk and it was and it shit. wasn't terrible, man. You two are both wrong. That <laughs> shit killed SmackDown. All right? Ooh. You had Jinder, the goddamn jobber, 
holding your title. That's the equivalent of Brooklyn Brawler holding the belt. Okay, you but I, I did Brawler start that out. I would have been more entertained I did it. start that out by saying he was not built properly. The same way that JBL wasn't built properly before putting the world title on him. So I hear what you're saying. At least JBL had a character change. He was no longer Bradshaw of APA. He changed his whole character. Yeah. And he became some some fucking Ted DiBiase ripoff, whatever. I didn't like it, but at, at least he changed his character. Gender was jobbing to fucking Mojo Rawley okay. not but a few months earlier than that, all right? Just because you put shit in the oven don't make it a biscuit. I understand that. But the point being is that the character, where it was and where he was going with all the things they had gone with, it had potential, had it properly built. Maybe if he didn't have it ha- the stink of the... Of the um, Three man band, what the fuck there was? Maybe if, it, if he didn't have the stink on him as that and was built in properly, he came in, it would have been over. It would have been way over. I know. Gender I know. Mahal, gender <sighs> fucking Mayhow. I get it. If it was a fifth, we'd there all be drunk no right potential. now. He uh, is gender the jobber. He had no business holding the title, let alone any kind of goal. Uh, you're not wrong. And I, I okay, but still. The potential of that gimmick with him being over, especially if he would have been over in India, which has like a billion people, that could have been a big deal. Um, and you say Brock didn't want to work with him. I wonder why Brock didn't want to work with a <laughs> fucking child. Oh, and, and on that note, I'm going to come in with my storyline that completely exceeded expectations. Um this storyline actually and you two will have a, a greater appreciation for this because this was during both of yours um height of a fandom during this time and and that was now this is a, a out of left field choice but my storyline that exceeded my expectations was chris jericho versus dean malenko and this was around 98 98 when we had um Jericho really going full on into his character change, becoming a bigger heel. Now, let me remind you that I want to say it was in 1998, I believe, or 99, I'm not sure. But um, Dean Malenko was named PWI's Wrestler of the Year. Number, I should say, I should say, number one wrestler of the wrestling rankings. Yeah. And um, I think it was 97. Okay, maybe it's more sense, actually. Maybe it was 97. I think so. Yeah, it makes more sense. And then 98, he got, you know, sort of a, somewhat of a run. And I was all for it. Very controversial pick. People were like, really? D. Malenko, come on. I thought D. Malenko was such money in the ring. He was my favorite wrestler to watch. Some of his matches with um, Rey Mysterio, um, some of his matches with Eddie Guerrero. This matches with Psychosis, Hoovy. And then there was who? Chris Effing Jericho, who I thought was the least of all those wrestlers at the time. I was so unimpressed with quote unquote the Lionheart Chris Jericho. And people love this 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 syrupy, sweet, crappy, sucky baby face when he first started. And then all of a sudden he started trying to build an edge to him. He would get pissed off and he would do things. And he started to come with this character, which is the character that he basically brought into WWE. F at the time um, 
this character who was this this smarmy baby face. I'm sorry, this smarmy heel that would come out and whine and cry and bitch and bullshit. And then he started to have this program starting with Dean Lincoln. I'm thoughting, I'm thoughting, I said it. I'm thinking that, oh, really? Jericho with my guy, Dean Malenko, Mr. Number One, the guy. Uh, uh, I don't want to see it, first of all, because he's not on Dean Malenko's level. Remember, now, during this time, I never saw ECW. I didn't know any of his work at that time. I just knew that I thought he was he was bullshit and over for no reason and I didn't get anybody's involvement with Chris Jericho and this is about the time like I said his character starts to take off so he starts calling him things like Stinko Malenko and he's going in I mean going way in on Dean Malenko and also during this time I want to say he was injured he he got hurt and so Dean, Dean Malenko was off from like Gosh, April, May, whatever, till he made a turn, and I want to say a slamboree in July. Um, so Chris Jericho carried the program by himself for like three or four months. And this, again, if you notice nowadays, you usually have a program that lasts a month. Chris Jericho on his own worked this program with him and Malenko for like three, four months. Um, and he had what had to be the promo that I said this motherfucker is awesome. When he had, he was the man of a thousand and four holds. One of my favorite promos to this day, Chris Jericho standing in the middle of the ring with the, with the paper that was like the old school computer paper that was all linked together and it folded all out and he started talking about all the holds he knew which was Dean Malenko was a man of a thousand holds Chris Jericho was a man of a thousand and four holds and every third or fourth hole was arm bar I thought it was the funniest shit in the world and at the same time I'm thinking oh my god he's entertaining I wanted to see him get his ass kicked badly so when Demon Lincoln enters the battle role in Slamboree as Synchro Play, and Hoobie Tude jumps out of the ring, and Demon Lincoln unmasks, and it's him in Synchro Play's outfit. And Chris Jericho has to finally, finally face the man who he's talked about his family. He's talked about Boris Malenko. He's going in about everything he can about Demon Lincoln for three, four months, and they finally fight. Oh my God, it was so awesome. It was the way a match should be booked. It was to me. Now looking back, it's what made. Um, oh, sorry, the phone flashed and I got worried. It's what made Chris Jericho a fucking star. It made Chris Jericho uh, money, a money program, a money worker to me. And again, it highlighted the abilities of one of my favorite wrestlers at the time, Dean Malenko. So that was the match that was a hundred percent exceeded my expectations the storyline that i was like invested in that i didn't think i care about because i did not care about chris jericho and i also think it's what made chris jericho a star i think it's what showed everybody that this dude was really really money which i didn't see it but it showed me that wrestling fan this dude was money I completely agree. <laughs> I, I have the same thing about Jericho. I did not like him when he was Lionheart Me for Jericho. Me uh, I thought he was just a, I thought he was just a grizzling shit. Um, but yeah, that whole Malenko storyline, armbar, everything you said with the, the whole the whole battle 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 royal thing. Yeah, brings that good memories. I completely agree. <laughs> Chris, uh, any thoughts on my man, Dean Malenko or Chris Jericho? Which I know you're a Jericho fan, if I'm not mistaken. We actually lost Chris. 
Yeah, and I thought I saw. And you know what's so funny? It's just that it's saying that I have two people and I don't. I'm gonna call him live on air right now, and I'm gonna find him. I thought something messed up happened. I'm calling him right now. This is how we do it on the click cast. We keep it 100. Yeah, Yeah, we can hear you now. Are you there, Jimmy Jam? I'm here. Christian and Cage, you're there now? Yes, sir. I, I saw you flash and I noticed that. That snatched my attention. It was the middle of me talking about the uh, Jericho Malenko match. Uh, our, I'm sorry, Malenko storyline. So, do you remember the Jericho Malenko? I hope you do some editing magic for this. Um, wh- hell no. Okay, maybe I will edit that. Okay. <laughs> it was a live on air call. That was real shit. That's how we keep it. We keep it 100. So, Christian and Cage, you fell off during the um, talk of the Milenko Jericho storyline. Do you remember that storyline? Yeah, it was one of my favorite ever. I really enjoyed uh, that promo. Uh, it still sticks with me to this day. You know, the man of, I would say, 1,004, actually, yeah, <laughs> 1,004 holds 50 of them predominantly arm bars. Arm bar. <laughs> it, it was next level. It actually made me like Dean Malenko more because I did think he was boring, but I also thought he was like technically sound and one of the best. Like you literally, every match that you saw him in, you're like, he's probably going to win. Yeah. It's just, he was that good. Um, you know, so that was one of my favorite times in wrestling. And it, I think it really highlighted what the cruiserweight division was at that time. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Facts. Um, yeah, definitely highlight. It was it ended up being for me the best of with the cruiser of the cruiserweight division, and I never thought at the time that Chris Jericho would be the best of anything for me. Because like Jimmy, I thought he was just a Serby baby face that I couldn't stand. Um, so Jimmy, close. I can't wait to hear what you have on this one, Jimmy Jam. What is your take on the storyline that completely exceeded your expectations? All right, so first things first, honorable mention to Tommaso Champ versus Johnny Gargano, NXT. Um, mm. That's one of my favorite storylines mm. of all time. If I have to rank like a top 10, that would definitely make the top 10 for me, so honorable mention to them. Um, now, storyline that exceeded my expectations has to be uh, Kenny Omega, his run, his, his quest to become the IWGP heavyweight champion. Um, like I said, Previously in this podcast, wrestling was never my favorite thing up until I want to say maybe 2013, 2014, when I really got into New Japan and really got more into Ring of Honor. I like Ring of Honor before, but I really got into it like around 2013, 2014. And so having, and, and on, top of, on top of Omega trying to become champion, it was also during the time when Okada was having the longest reign as IWGP champion. So you had Omega gunning for the top guy of all time in in a, in a New Japan. And so 
seeing Omega go from a junior heavyweight kicking out AJ Styles to become a leader of, of the of the Bullet Club, jumping the heavyweight division, winning the Intercontinental title, title from Tanahashi, going to Dominion in June and having that awesome ladder match, the first and I think only ladder match in New Japan history against Michael Elgin. And then he lost IT title, goes on uh, about a month later to win the G1 Climax. He fights Okada 2017 at a, at a Wrestle Kingdom. And it was just like, like all that was like, this is fucking awesome. And after he beat, after Okada beat Omega in that match at Wrestle Kingdom, you knew they were going to do it again. And when they did it the second time, it was it was a 60-minute time limit draw, one of the best matches I've ever seen. Mm. And and just, Omega, he just had this whole story of trying to get to that title. He, he, he ended up winning the uh, first ever U.S. Uh, New Japan, and creating this, this whole U.S. title belt. Omega, he, he wins that. He fights Jericho. And... It ends up going two years of losing the U.S. title belt to Jay White, leading to the leading to the Bullet Club Civil War. He reunites with Ibushi, his longtime tag team partner. He loses the G1 climbing. Like he just kept he kept winning and losing, winning and losing, getting closer and closer, but also getting pushed back from the from the IWGP title. And finally, Finally, Okada is the man. He is finally the longest reigning champion. He has finally defended the belt more than anyone else. However, there is one blemish on his record, and that blemish is the time limit draw at 2017 Dominion. And he tells Omega, me and you, let's do it again. 2018 Dominion, they go out there two out of three falls. They go out there and battle for over an hour. The greatest match I have ever seen in my entire life. That is my number one all-time match. Omega Okada, two out of three falls, Dominion 2018. Omega wins it. And that's that storyline of him trying to become champion, winning the belt, and his subsequent title reign where he dropped it to Tanahashi going to AEW. That whole stretch exceeded any expectations I could ever have. Mm. You know, I I got into New Japan based on the Bullet Club's involvement, Kenny Omega, um, uh, Okada, Tanahashi, who made his return during that time, uh, my guy, Minoru Suzuki, um, that was like an incredible series of bashes and storylines. And it was one of those times when I know people have talked about this before, um, even though there's like a language barrier, there was this emotion and, and everything else that came through in, in the promos and the sets that they did. And it was so engulfing. Again, it, my girlfriend now is a huge New Japan fan. We went to see, uh, I'll keep mentioning this because it was a great night. We went to see New Japan at Cow Palace when um, Kenny defended that newly won world title against Cody in the main event. And um, I got to see the uh, got to see the Young Bucks, and I can't remember who they fought that night. 
Um, but it was a great time in New Japan, which has lost its luster right now, was awesome at the top. And I was, you know, I was totally sold during that time. So facts, those are great times. I can't, all of that. I, I followed that whole storyline myself and all of it was awesome. So can't get um, disagree with any of that. Um, and there you have it. The storylines and the emotional content that brought us in and locked us into pro wrestling, what almost killed it for us and what completely exceeded our expectation. And that's why you have this podcast now. That's why you have the ClickCast. That's why you have us out here taking our time on a Sunday to sit back and talk about something that um, we love to talk about, something that we're into, something that brings us together and, um, makes us feel good when we're, we get to laugh and sit here and talk to our, our few fans as they grow about the click cast. So um, thank you for listening, my friends, as we discuss what's going to be our next topic. We're going to figure it out. Um, thank you for listening. I am your host, Big Ron Studd. You have Jimmy Jam there and Christian Costas, as always, doing what we do, talking about what we love. I thank you for being here. I thank you for listening. Again, we're available on Spotify. We're available on Google, Codicat. Blah, 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 blah. We're available on Spotify. We are available on Google Podcasts, and we're available on Podcast Attic for now. Check out our Facebook page. Like and follow our Instagram page, which is ClickCast333. Show us some love. Thank you for listening, and we are out. Mm-hmm.